Welcome back to Angered and Devoted with Pastor Jeremy and Joseph. Um, yep, today we're talking about gratitude. Now, Jeremy, you picked the topic for today, so you can yes, sir. share why you chose it. Sure. Um, gratitude and thankfulness is something that is necessary for a well-formed human existence and seriously lacking uh, in my life, <laughs> but in the lives of most of the people that I see, with notable exceptions, I'll, I'll say as well, but also in the wider culture. And I think that when you lose, um, when you lose a touch on, on gratitude and thankfulness, you lose a significant part of your humanity and you also lose a significant part of your ability to walk in relationship uh, with other people, but more importantly, with God himself. So why do you think uh, you haven't been as gratitudedness as you'd like to be? <laughs> simple answer, self-centeredness. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think I think the biggest the biggest enemy to gratitude is thinking that I I have what I have because I deserve it. Mm. Um, if they're good things, and if I if I get bad things, I didn't deserve. Um, you know, I work hard. I work hard to be dependable. I work hard to come through. Mm-hmm. And I do so not expecting people to give me praise. I expect that if someone gives me a job due and I say I'm going to do it, that if I do it the way I said that I was going to do it, I don't expect them to throw a party for me. I expect them to say, hey, thank you. That was a great job. Here's the next one. And that's how I, that's how I relate to my kids. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that has really helped me reevaluate my lack of connection to gratitude is specifically with my kids and with my wife, because there are things I expect them to do as dad, as husband, as head of the house. I expect my kids to clean up after themselves. I expect them to not leave their cereal bowl on the table. I expect them once they reach a certain age to not just clear their cereal bowl, but to rinse it out so that when I come back to it, whatever that might happen to be because of whatever else goes wrong that morning, I don't have, you know, fossilized Cheerios on the bowl. Um, It's kind of a low bar as far as I'm concerned, but I treat it almost with dismissiveness when they do it, Mm -hmm. as opposed to gratitude that flows out of a, a recognition that what's happening here, this transaction of duty and responsibility flows out of a relationship of love. And that's really what's gotten to me is whether I'm doing something for my wife or my kids, or they're doing something that I've asked them to do, we're either doing it out of a a sense of obligation, a sense of transactionalism, or a, a, um, a motivation of love. And so this, I take this back to God. I roll this backwards and say, okay, so as a Christian then, how am I relating to God in the way that I do things that he's called me to do, that I know I'm responsible to do? Am I relating to God out of a sense of love or, or out of a sense of obligation? Am I receiving the gifts from his hands out of a sense of entitlement or a sense of grace. Because if, and I'm getting way ahead of myself here, 
But um, this is kind of the big this is kind of the big picture. If I'm doing it out of a sense of grace, then every good thing that God does is a reason for me to rejoice with thanksgiving. And I want to talk about, I mean, maybe I'll go too long here, but I want to talk about what thanksgiving actually, the, the expression of thanksgiving does inside the individual, but the way that it relates to missions, the way it relates to evangelism, and the way it relates to worship. Um, but lest I take all my time here sputtering and, <laughs> and being flustered, let me ask you, when, when I said, hey, I'd love to talk about gratitude, what were some of the things that came to mind first for you? Um, I mean, we've talked about the consumer Christianity, um, the idea that even when it comes to Christmas, it's for me, um, that it really isn't a celebration of Christ. It's a celebration of what Christ did for me. Um, and so the, the thankfulness or the lack of uh, thankfulness in our culture, as well as in our daily interactions uh, is what came to mind for me that we okay. don't say thank you that we aren't um filled with an un, you know that that graciousness that um uh, is happy about the little things um you know from meals to even the rain but just being in a space of uh, gratitude so that was what came to mind for me, but I know this was a topic you chose. So I was curious as to what was behind it. I'm also curious as to, you know, you recognize that um, your heart's not been in the right space. How do you, you know, recondition that, address that? Like, what is, what is the thought there? Or what is the, the scripture you go to? Or, you know, what is the Holy Spirit nudging you to do? Those are great questions. The scripture that comes to mind when I think about myself, number one, there's, there's a lot of psalms about Thanksgiving mm -hmm. um, that just kind of as a, as a wave wash towards me, that this is, this is the proper and right response to God who has done everything for us. But the, the scripture that first comes to mind as a motivational Recalibration is, I think it's First Thessalonians five seventeen, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God concerning you. Mm. And uh, I've tied that in my mind to the verse in James when he says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, and whom there's mm. no there's no shifting, there's no variation, it's in shadows. And whatever come to um, to recognize is that that doesn't just mean that every good gift comes from God. It means that everything that comes from God is good. Everything that, that squeezes out from God's hand to me, regardless of my experience of that, is a good thing. Mm. And this is a challenge. This is a real challenge. I was talking to a friend who has been going through a very difficult season of life for several years now. And the person was, I encouraged them to look at Job and to consider what God had done, um, specifically in the first three chapters of Job, when we see Satan coming to the Lord and saying, hey, uh, if, you, if you let me start messing with, this, with Job's life, then he's going to curse you to your face. And God said, yeah, no, he's not. 
and God allowed Job to come within an inch of his life. Mm -hmm. God allowed everything that Job had not only to be taken from him, but utterly destroyed. And my friend turned to me and said, I don't understand this. Why did God do this? Why did God let this happen? Now, this is the question that C.S. Lewis deals with in The Problem of Pain. It is the question that um, every Christian has to wrestle through mm-hmm. and, you know, I hope comes to a point of, of being able to come to the other side without saying, well, God's just a vindictive, callous, uncaring, um, vindictive God who, who enjoys doing bad things to people. Because what, what Scripture does reveal is not that. What Scripture reveals is that God is after one thing in everything he has been doing. He's after bringing glory to himself. And I'm going to let that sink in. God's mission, God's mission statement for his life is, I will bring glory to myself. I, as a believer, as a child of God, and as a servant of God, serve that purpose. He uses me to that end. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, those, that reality seems both selfish, it also seems antithetical to my happiness. The glory of what God is doing is that because I put myself into a position of obedience to be used by God for his glory, just as Job did, it is actually for my benefit, and it is for the depth of relationship that God knows we need to have with him, that he uses us to bring himself glory. Now, this, this takes me back to sort of the first question you asked, why talk about gratitude? Because one of the most profound verses on gratitude, at least in my thinking, comes out of Romans 1, when Paul is talking about not just the Jews, but the Gentiles and the whole world. And he says, they suppressed the truth in unrighteousness, and they were not grateful. And when I, when I hear that description, I think, okay, well, if there's a description that d- describes what I see in the world around me today, that's what I see. I see a suppression of truth and unrighteousness, and I see an ungratefulness. And, and I realized, I made the connection, I said, this, this ungratefulness is tied directly to suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Because once I'm able to push down the truth of what God is doing, then I can, I can forsake my right response of gratitude to God and when I reject that, I cease to worship him. And if I cease to worship God, then the glory that God is due isn't given to him in the measure that it's due. And that's the fundamental tension of the world that we live in. That's the eternal struggle that's been going on. God exists for his glory. He exists to glorify himself. Jesus came to die in obedience and to be raised forth to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul makes it really clear all over Ephesians, 
everything that God did was to the glory of the Father and to the glory of the Son. Worship is our expression of the recognition of God's glory. Gratitude for what God has done is the impetus that thrusts that worship out from our bellies, through our hearts, and out through our mouths to a world around us that needs to hear just how amazing this God is. Now, I'm saying all this, and even as I'm saying this, I realize it sounds um, kind of heady and kind of disconnected. So I'm going to stop here, and I'm going to let you critique, respond, reply, poke at. My my first thought is that I know that this is a perspective thing as far as how you view God very much uh, impacts the way that, you know, you relate to those around you as well as to God. If you have a small God, um, you know, one that you can control, one that you can pray to and he obeys and does what you want, you know, your genie God, then you aren't, gratitude isn't natural. Um, Sure. On the flip side, if you have a big God and he's infinite and you are learning of him and you are humbled by the relationship and what Christ has done, then gratitude should be a norm. Um, But the same is true in relationship to others. If you understand and see them as being made in the image of God, then there should be some gratitude in relationship to you being in the same time, in the same space, knowing that this is a God thing uh, as two image bearers engaged. I, I, I do have to ask, though, what do you do to get perspective back? Like, yeah. how do you yeah. get perspective back? Um, yes, we know this, but how do you get that perspective of the big God? You know, when I have been treating him like he's a small God, I can look at my prayer requests and even say that. How do I get that perspective of, the person who's bothering me in the toll booth is an image bearer of God or the person parked in front of me in a drive through for some reason is an image bearer of God like that, that perspective versus they're holding me up from doing something that is not eternal. When, um, when I believe it was the Apollo 11 mission, mm-hmm. When they reached a point in space where out of their window they could see the earth with the with space as its backdrop, and I, I believe their perspective was it, it looked like the earth was upside down. Um, for the first time, humans saw earth from, an, from a much different perspective and much, a much bigger vantage point. And the vantage point that they saw as they looked down, having left, you know, Florida or Texas, where it was they they shot off from, there were very serious concerns they had when they drove to the launch area Mm -hmm. the morning that they left. There were very serious concerns politically for their family. But when they saw the earth from this perspective, their perspective, their, their outlook, their ability to understand there's a lot more going on here than affects me personally kicked in and they were all changed by it for me moving from a a position of of thinking that 
that this is about me, that I am happy when I get what I deserve. I'm upset when I don't get what I deserve. I deserve to be able to take you, take things from you if I deserve them or want them. And if you try to stop me, I deserve to be able to hit you. You know, kind of that, that three-year-old thinking that most of us try to push down, but end up living in for, you know, more like 30, well, more than 30 years. Um, it's selfish, it's self-centered, and it's very small. Mm-hmm. For me, pulling back and seeing, okay, the big picture here is about God's glory. Well, if, if God's glory is what this is about, if Christ's death and resurrection, if the fact that I was saved and I'm a believer is about God's glory, then what is kind of the antithesis to this story? Well, the antithesis is there was someone who was with God in the beginning, who saw everything that was going on and said, I, I don't really want you to have glory. Uh, at least not if I don't also get the same glory. And from the moment that Lucifer had that, that desire, that lust for God's glory birthed in his heart, and he, he did not reject it, he did not take it to God for correction or for change, but instead he let it consume him. His purpose in all of human history has been to tear down every good thing that God has built. And I look around the world and I see I see a whole bunch of different things going on, some that are that I agree with, some that I disagree with, but all, if they continue going the way they are going, will lead to a mutual destruction of humanity. And the only person who wants the mutual destruction of humanity or the total destruction of, of humanity is Satan. And so all of a sudden, my, my perspective shifts. This is about God receiving glory. This is about Satan who wants to destroy everything that God made so that God doesn't receive glory. That, that immediately impacts the way that I view the person who's holding me up at the toll booth or the person who fill in the blank, the person who has a, a, a worldview or an ideology that is, that is not only opposed to my worldview and ideology, but opposed to me personally because of my ideology. This isn't about me and them. This is about a devil who wants to destroy me and them and doesn't care what it takes to do that. Because he doesn't hate me, he hates God. But how do you remember this when he's not sitting on a corner, you know, with two horns and a pitchfork? How do you remember this when, you know, you're looking at your child and, uh, again, I, I need to remember to teach this little one to say thank you to realize that rainy days are beautiful too, to understand that um, every day is a blessing. Like that, like how do we remember that in such a way that uh, it is caught as well as it's something that we hold on to? Holding on to it is the harder part, teaching it tossing it so it can be caught is is easier i can i can build in the regimen mm-hmm. for talking about and teaching mm-hmm. my kids mm-hmm. this and 
see the opportunities because it's much easier to see when they need this lesson than when I'm forgetting this lesson. Okay. It's much easier to see. I'm much better being a critic than I am a self-critic. Um, so for me, you know, 40 years of life behind me, I have a lot of, a lot of failed attempts mm-hmm. that I can look back on and say, what went wrong with the way I did X, Y, or Z? The last dozen times I did X, Y, or Z. And it's, it always kind of fits into the same pattern of, I forgot the big picture. Mm. So I've built into my lifestyle a practice of reflecting on where I have missed the big picture. And I remind myself what the big picture is as I go through this process so that it becomes a part of, I use a a naughty word to you, it becomes a part of my mantra. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It becomes a part of the the, um, narrative of of my worldview that this this perspective that I need to hold is a heavenly eternal perspective, not an earthly temporal perspective. Mm-hmm. And all of these things that start ticking me off, all of them are earthly and temporal. There's never been an eternal um, heavenly thing that has ever ticked me off. Now, I would say for me, you know, piggybacking off of this, or piggybacking with this, um, I'd say the Holy Spirit's role is one where often he reminds me, okay, you messed up. Sure. Like, you need to say yeah. thank you. You need to, you know, enjoy this day with all the work that you're doing for God. Yes, you're a pastor, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Um, so I can check the bar, you know, the box for serving God. But the reality is, is, am I in a space where I see this as a day to be thankful? Am I filled with gratitude because this is a day the Lord has made and mm-hmm. I'm going to rejoice in it? Do mm-hmm. I understand um, very much as David wrote in Psalms 107, let's give thanks to the Lord, right? He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. I you know, you mentioned mantra. I, I think for the new believer as well as for the seasoned one, um, having scriptures that challenge us about where we place our treasure is important. Um, because if we um, start to act like the world or look like the world, um, you know, to the point where we're identifying with it, almost being baptized into it, then we won't have that heart of gratitude. I do think it is something that we have to cultivate. So there is some intentionality to it, but I also believe that there is um, the spirit who uh, guides us so that we can say, hey, when I've gotten into a rut or off the rails a little bit, um, no, this is not okay. But that requires me to be listening, to have that space where I'm getting into the word, to understand, as you stated before, that Christ is my key. Um, not just the cross away around my neck yeah. is um, the main thing yes. of every day. Um, and again, not an easy thing, um, but I, I, I do know, you know, and I've worked with people where I encourage them to, um, you know, to journal, um, to, you know, daily write something that they're thankful for and to start off their day. Um, you know, uh, I wrote, 
book made new for new believers. And um, in it, one of the things when it comes to prayer is getting people to start prayer with gratitude, um, with thankfulness, not just with needs, but understanding that no matter where you are, including the belly of a big fish, you probably should start with a thank you because you're alive. <laughs> um, and yeah. so, you know, this is something that I encourage my little one and I strive to do myself um, to the point where I try and teach others. Being thankful is something we need to start with and, and build that muscle so that when we don't do it, we pause and go, why didn't we say thank you? Just like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It is a muscle. It is a muscle that requires exercise. I said, you know, when we started here that there are, there are notable exceptions of people who are, who exemplify a lifestyle and attitude of, of gratitude. And these are some of the people that the Holy Spirit has used in my life as I've been listening. And he's been saying, hey, do you see my servant over here? There's one guy in particular, his name's Tony, that stands out. I remember when I was observing Tony in, in just normal activity, and it became so apparent that one of the things that Tony does often is express simple, sincere gratitude for the things that people around him are doing, regardless of how big or small. I mean, I'll remember to say thank you if you've done something big for me. But what I saw Tony doing was it didn't matter what was going on. What he communicated in his attitude, (coughs) excuse me, and in the way that he spoke was, I recognize that you don't need to do this. You don't owe me anything here. And so everything that you have done has been a gift. Thank you for giving me that gift. Mm. And it was such a, a precious reminder of how we receive the love and the gift of grace from God our Father and the response that we can step into, that we can practice stepping into and putting on this mantle to say, I, I didn't deserve this. Thank you for that. That was amazing. I wasn't expecting this. I, I wanted this. Maybe I didn't even know I wanted this, but you did this, and you didn't have to. That, I really, really appreciate that. Thank you for doing that. That's a muscle that requires work. And um, again, it goes back to goes back to this idea of God is after his own glory. Even in Revelation, when we see the consummation of all of God's creation, what we see is worship continuing. John Piper um, famously said that evangelism exists because worship doesn't. And I think he's on to something um, there. God is after our hearts looking back at him and saying, man, you're amazing. And I'd like to know you. I'd like to be with you. I was talking to a friend about this, and I described it this way. I said, it's not just that God is like a painter who painted the most, uh, the most beautiful painting, because that would be good enough. An artist who creates an amazing piece of work is worthy of praise for his creative and artistic ability and the fact that he made this goodness and through this goodness made the world a better place. 
But God went beyond that because it wasn't just that he created this painting, but then vicious and malicious villains came in and destroyed the painting. They, they defaced it, they cut it up, they burnt it. And then he picked it up and he cleaned it and he rebuilt it and he repaired it and he remade it so that it was even more beautiful than it had been the first time. An artist that can do that is worthy of double praise, and that is what God has done for us. All of the slashes in that painting that were put there maliciously, he took and used those to enhance the final, the final image. That's what God's done, not just in my life, but in, that's what he's doing in the world. He created this place perfect. He created it glorious. He said it is very good. And we came in, and we started making a mess of it. And from even before that mess was being made, he was at work putting it back together. And when we look at the end of Revelation, once God has finished putting it together, the response of everyone, regardless of whether or not they are in heaven or hell, they will all have said, dude, you're amazing. And some will have said it through joy and through gratitude, and others will have said it through anger and dread. But we all will get there. We all will look at God and say, no, you're God, and every other man was a liar. What I want for the people that I come into contact with, that God leads me to, is that they would be able to say it with joy and with glory and with worship, not with anger and dread, because a day of reckoning is coming. It's not avoidable. And we can position ourselves now by learning that just like when I or when you do something for our kids out of love, the relationship that we want as we show them love, as we demonstrate love, is signified in the very simple phrase, thanks, Dad. That's what God's looking for. That, that recognition. It, I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, you know, oversimplify it. But at a at a level, it's that simple. It's that sublime. It's thanks, Dad. That's for me. Thanks. That's the reality of the relationship that He's called us to. Amen. Well, I hope this was encouraging. If not, go be gracious to someone else. <laughs> I guess we was. should say thank you to the listeners as well. Thank you guys for joining us. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the support. For those of you who are supporting us, thank you for sharing it with others. And thank you uh, for allowing us a serious moment to you know, talk about something that we feel is missing. Gratitude. There you go. You have a blessed day. See you.